wow, this is awesome. This is so cool. Um, Kelly, um, the Lord uh, had me teach you for a little while. And now for the last uh, 20 plus years, I've been learning from you. Uh, this is a remarkable gift of God's grace. Is this not right here? Um, absolutely. Um, well, aloha. Or as they say in Alabama, aloha y'all. <laughs> now in, <clears throat> in Hawaii, <clears throat> we, some folks, uh, we, we have a language, Hawaiian, um, and to say uh, thank you is mahalo. Some of you know this, right? And people from Alabama, 10,000 people came from Alabama to watch, uh, to watch a football game against uh, U UH uh, in Hawaii there. 10,000 people came, and I hung, out, hung, hung around with some of them, and uh, the, the word is mahalo, and, and they, they translated into mahaler. <laughs> uh, it's great to be together. I have been told multiple times just how long to go. Okay, so this will be slow, not, not too painful. Uh, it is so cool to be here. Uh, living on an island, <clears throat> the horizon disappears out into the ocean. So you have no idea what it's like for uh, my wife, my wife, Marianne, who don't join me. Uh, it's, so, it's so weird for us to be and to see a hundred miles. That is, it, we're like indoor cats that got outside on the lawn, like, to see a hundred or f miles is so crazy, and I feel everything is big and everything, everything is large. And you, you all live on the big island. This is the big island. You guys are getting that? All right. So I want to share with you a few thoughts today, and I want to start off with a question. Um, and by the way, I've thought about you. I have prayed about this. I, I would love to just hang out with each of you and just get to know you. I think that might take a little time. Uh, but... Um, I've prayed about this moment, and um, <clears throat> I think about you and um, what the Lord might do in your, these important years for your life. Um, I think all of you uh, know what a planner is, right? You have a planner in your day, or you have a planner on your phone, and... Uh, uh, God has a plan for your, for your life here at Covenant. And I believe it will include interruptions. I believe it will include even things that could be called disruptions. And uh, these things are headed your way for a really important and good purpose. Uh, and these things are coming our way that we might connect and understand the, the deeper purposes that God has for us. And so I'd like you to, to take with you today the simple thought, walk around campus the rest of this day with this thought, that with Jesus there are no unplanned days. There are no unplanned days. My own experience at 19 years old, I was in a far country, to use the imagery from the prodigal son. At 19 years old, I walked into a church just to be polite to the people who invited me in, uh, in San Diego and... I heard the story of Saul of Tarsus, and I had Jesus sort of lost in history, maybe even resurrected in history, and he was way over this way, and as I heard the sermon on that day, he was no longer in this direction, he was this direction looking down upon me. 
and he called me to himself. Our text today is going to be in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 35 and through 41. It is the story of Jesus with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a great storm, and they panic. I'd like to set this up that you understand that they have already seen, the disciples have already seen a number of remarkable things with Jesus. They've already been called to him, but they are largely not seen in the the text of Mark until here. They've seen a paralytic lowered from the ceiling. They've seen Jesus uh, heal. They've seen him declare uh, the paralytic forgiven. But this seems to have not solicited any curiosity out of them. There's no recorded questions about Jesus up to this point. And I would propose to you that as we, as we are about to read this passage, I would propose to you that they have an arm's length view of Jesus. Jesus, you do your thing. The people need you. Hungry people need you. People with demons need you. Of course, people who have withered hands need you. But I would propose to you that the disciples had not tapped into their own personal need of Jesus. They were familiar with him. They heard about him. They had seen things that he'd done, but they had not entered into their own desperation like someone who would have a withered hand had that desperation. So as we parachute down onto Mark 4, with that as a a little bit of a background, let's read this. On that day, verse 35, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd, they took him with him, them in the boat, and just as he was, and other boats were with them. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid and you still no faith? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As they launched out that evening, they had no questions of Jesus. No questions. Stage one, semi-professional fishermen who can handle the boats, they have no questions. Jesus, you do your thing, we do our thing. Stage two, great fear. Great fear. And at least we can say there's some traction going on inside their hearts. There's something happening. They're awake to their need. This is important. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There's some movement in their hearts. And if there are no questions in us, then we are experiencing stasis. That means that we are not moving. And it's very important that we develop, particularly here at our time, 18 to 22, however age you are, that you're developing questions, that the Lord is working at the level where you are developing questions in your heart and you are going to find good answers there. But I would propose to you that the questions that are the most important for us are those that arise out of crisis. And they cry out, don't you care about us? 
and they're going to learn that his care transcends their understanding in such a great way. Jesus turns to them and have you still no faith? You have seen so much, but it has not penetrated your heart. You do not know who is with you. And they were afraid of being exposed, these semi-professional fishermen. Jesus goes right at their place of strength and exposes them as weak. None of us like that experience, by the way. Fear of being exposed. We get defensive. We get prickly. We're not teachable. But someone has tapped into some truth about us, and it's hard for us to admit it. Jesus just speaks to the wind and the sea. He just speaks. Stage one, there's no questions. Stage two, they have a question, do you not care? Stage three, though, is one of the most important ones. They pause. Who then is this? Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. We find this beautiful passage in Mark's gospel leaving us pondering with the disciples, pondering with them the identity of Jesus. A new fear has developed within them. It is a fear connected to the word awe. They are pondering this person. And now I would say that there is great movement in their hearts. Something can happen now. My wife and I have supported a ministry in Mexico for a number of years, a children's ranch. Uh, in English, it's Hand of Help, Mano de Ayuda, about 15 acres. Uh, these are street kids. These are orphans. They've been brought in. Uh, many of them will uh, be brought in at very young ages, and hopefully they'll stay there and take taken care of uh, and graduate uh, through eight to 18 years old and get on back with their lives. It's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. And uh, some years ago, I was in the, in the van, and all these 25 kids are all packed in this van, and we're all heading up <clears throat> to go to church. And uh, this van, as before we left, uh, the, uh, I was talking to the 20-year-old who's driving the van, and I noticed that the gas gauge had uh, cobwebs in it. And I said, how's the gas gauge? He said, oh, it hasn't worked in years. So how do you know how much gas we have? He says, well, you know, in, in, in Espanol, más o menos, you know. I said, okay. So I'm in the back, and we're driving to church about 20 miles, and I'm thinking about this. I go, man, there must, you know, this is okay, I guess. But there is a kind of, uh, there's kind of a hairpin turn. There's a mountain, mountainous turn coming up. Man, I hope we don't run out of gas there. And on the way, I'm noticing that there's holes in the floor of the van. There's holes. You can see the road through the holes in the floor. Kids are playing guitar. They're singing. And right at that critical moment, that turn in the steep mountainous side, we run out of gas. And before I know what's going on, the doors open and two teenagers are running up the, the highway with gas cans. And a mile away is a, is a gas station. And I'm thinking, this is craziness, you know. 
But the kids keep singing with joy. The kids keep singing. They're in the van. They're having a great time. The kids running up, the teenagers around the corner, they're having a great time. They're, they're laughing as they go. Who is the orphan in the bus? They have a heavenly Father who has all the resources of grace. And all I need is a gas gauge. You see, what's happening here is that the disciples, their needs are going to change. Their worldview is basically intact. They know what it means to be a Jew. They know what it means to be uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom, and they're just being polite. They're following a, a, an impressive rabbi, and they're going to learn about their religion. Okay. They're fundamental need structure is going to change. There's going to be a movement in them. They're going to, they're going to run like those teenage kids with gas cans to, as it were, to Macedonia and Greece. You see, these disciples don't have any concern for anyone outside of their small circle. See, I've been fascinated for years. How does this happen? How do you take ingrown people who are saying us for and no more? How, do the, how does this happen where there's something where people, there's a movement where, where people are moving out into danger and not being that concerned about it, whether it's moving 20 feet towards some shy person here at Covenant College or 2,000 miles to go serve in ministry? How does that movement happen? And I'm going to say that it, it, these are these stories that somehow show us that the need structure of the disciples and the need structure of our hearts change, changes. The loves now are reshaped and reformed. So what does God use to awaken us? He uses crisis. There's a commentary on the book of Mark. It sounds boring, but it's quite fantastic by a man named Hans Bayer. And it's one of my top ten favorite books. And he, he argues that through, throughout Mark's gospel, there are two questions underway. Who do you perceive yourself to be, and who do you perceive God to be? And the disciples perceive themselves to be self-made, autonomous people. How about you? Who do you perceive yourself to be? Do you perceive yourself accurately? Are you afraid of the question? Are you accomplished? Are you all put together? You have this education. You have these goals. You have this kind of life. Who do you perceive yourself to be? Are you entitled? I'm a person who needs people to be this for me and, and that for me. In other words, you, have, you are governing yourself largely. Well, you're like me. I was born that way. Religious people um, perceive themselves to be rule keepers, right? Rule keepers. They don't uh, have the aroma of grace, but they're rule keepers. Who do you perceive yourself to be? And does the word humility fit in, the, in your answer? Blessed are the poor in spirit, the portal, the beginning of the kingdom of God in the heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
these disciples are going to have a, they are having a crisis, a, a double crisis as Hans Baer would describe it. And the, the, the one that they discover, the one they discover is frightening because they're selfish, self-centered. And what happens though is that the sinner that they discover, who do you perceive yourself to be? I now perceive myself to be to be needy, vulnerable, exposed, not all that put together. I'm not what I, I try to portray for other people. I am poor in spirit. And let us not be afraid of the person we discover as we seek honestly to answer that question. Because the person we discover, the sinner inside, is the one that Jesus comes for. And these two questions merge together. Who do you perceive yourself to be and who do you perceive God to be? They emerge together and they are, the answer is revealed in the cross of Jesus. So if you struggle with self-esteem, you struggle with yourself, you hide from yourself, there's knowledge about yourself that you're afraid of, welcome to the club. We're all frightened to know ourselves. Jesus reveals himself to these disciples, not only in his compassion and the way he deals with them, but also he's, he's saying to them and to us on the cross, this is the one who's come and he has a capacity for you. He has a capacity for you. So do not stay in your shame. Know that he came for one like you. The God who is revealed to us is the God of the cross. At one time, I had a chance to talk to a woman. We were skiing in Colorado, and she was a ski instructor there. She was 25 years old, and she, she learned that I was a minister, and then, you know, uh, the conversation changed a bit. And uh, she reflected on her childhood and her upbringing, and she said, she said, you know, um, I used to go to church, but I don't need anyone yelling at me to get my act together. And I said, you really went to a church like that? She said, yeah. And that was the message. Yeah, essentially. I said, Jesus wouldn't go to that church either. He'd be outside with all the people who didn't have their act together. What's Jesus doing with these disciples? He's, he's having them have an experience of deconstruction. He's deconstructing their identity, and He does that with all of us in the greatest love we could ever experience. He's going to rebuild, rebuild, these, rebuild these men and all who follow Him. Jesus is the King. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and He draws us into Himself. And this creates movement. You see, what you've heard today in this text is essentially a kind of exalted Christology. And an exalted Christology is vitally important, otherwise we will never become disciples. And here's my final thought for you, and again, this comes from Hans Baer. Why do we have all these stories in our Bibles? Jesus is king over the demons, and he's king over diseases, and 
Why do we have all these stories? Because he's authorized to make a claim on our lives. Do you perceive that? Do you sense that he, as you learn about him in this amazing and remarkable school, as you learn about him, do you sense that he is authorized and he is making, he is authorized to make a claim upon your life? He has a legitimate claim upon you. And if you doubt that, just read the stories then. If you doubt that, if you say, ah, I'm not sure about that, then read the stories and watch what happens to your heart. And exalted Christology leads to discipleship. And so Jesus, let me wrap this up. Jesus is in all the unplanned days of your life because there is his overarching purpose of of a great plan to rebuild you. Ponder these questions. Who do you perceive yourself to be and who do you perceive God to be? And as these two questions merge, may you find a beautiful Savior. He's welcoming. He has a capacity for you. And He seeks you. And He wants to rebuild you. Let's pray. Our Father, we're all afraid. We're all afraid of being known, being exposed. What a wonderful thing it is that you know all about that, and you still pursue us, and you give us Jesus on a cross, and the one we discover, you love and you come after. Thank you that you have a capacity for us. We love you. We commit our way to you. We thank you for this moment. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.